It's a Christmas miracle. How many times have we heard that in different Christmas movies? I mean, that seems to be in the most popular of all Christmas movies. Uh, it's a miracle. It's a, it's a Christmas miracle. Uh, but that seems like it's a term that we hear oftentimes this time of year. Uh, even in sitcoms, it's a term that's used as they do Christmas renditions for those sitcoms. A Christmas miracle is when some highly unlikely stroke of good fortune comes to that particular character. And when that particular stroke of good fortune comes, uh, at that certain time when most needed, it, it's recognized as that Christmas miracle. And it happens in the month of December. If it happens in the month of December, it's automatically tattooed as a Christmas miracle. It just seems to happen that way. This morning we're continuing to look at this thought of unto us a child is born. And as we think about this, we want to consider uh, the true Christmas miracle and be mindful of this true Christmas miracle. Our Christmas journey began uh, with us looking at Isaiah 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We probably should sing a song like that. Maybe have the choir sing something along that line someday, shouldn't we? Uh, but as we think about this, and as we think about this promise that's here, we can't help but think, how is this child to be born? How is this son to be given? We look at all of this and see the depth and the weight of this. And really the only way this can happen is if it were some sort of Christmas miracle. That's the only way that this could take place. And we want to unpack this Christmas miracle and look at this Christmas miracle this morning. And we want to begin our journey this morning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. That's where we find ourselves. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, there are going to be three headings that we're going to use that are going to kind of move us through this. The first thing we see are the characters. The second thing we see are the circumstances. And the third thing we see is the conclusion. Now, before we dive into this passage this morning, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Father, we're grateful for this morning that you've given to us, and Lord, grateful for this opportunity to be able to look into your word. And as we think about Mary being found to be with this child, I pray, Lord, that you'd open our hearts, that you'd open our minds to what you have for us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that God, as we, as we move through this final week before Christmas, I pray the width and the depth and the height of this Christmas miracle would be something that would grip us. I pray it'd be something that would season our, our celebration this week and our celebration next Sunday especially. That we would just begin to grasp how great and how special this first Christmas miracle was. Christmas miracles we experience today are, are dim in comparison. And I pray, Lord, this morning that through our study, we would be reminded of that. Take my mind and my heart, and especially my tongue, allow me to share what you'd have us to hear. 
nothing more, Lord, but certainly nothing less either. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. Now, as we dive into this passage this morning, the first thing we want to look at are the characters that are listed. I probably will not make it through this if I continue to wear this. So the first thing we want to look at are the characters. Now mentioned in verse 18 here, it says the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. The first character we see is the child. This is the child that we've been talking about uh, since Isaiah 9, verse 6. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. For to us, a child is born. And this child is Jesus Christ. He is the child that's to be born. Matthew shares with us the birth of this child. Matthew has been sharing with us in Matthew chapter 1 until verse 17 here, uh, the genealogy of Jesus. And you can look back at that and you can see that Matthew's audience, as he's writing the book of Matthew, his audience is the Jewish community. He is seeking to prove to them in his gospel that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so beginning in chapter 1, he traces Jesus back to Abraham because Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. And so he wants to show them that Jesus is that long-awaited Messiah and that he touches all the T's and dots all the I's clear back to Abraham. That's the reason that he's laid out this whole uh, genealogy in these first 17 verses is showing us that he's seeking to prove that Jesus is the long-awaited Christ. And he proves, seeks to prove that Jesus is the one who fulfills all of the prophecies pointing to him as the Messiah. And Matthew shares how this child, how this son that was to be given, how Jesus is that child, how Jesus is that son. The child Jesus is the long-promised Messiah. Now we see here in verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. The next character is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was probably from Nazareth. Uh, Mary's family would have looked like uh, all of the other Nazareth families. Sometimes we see those paintings where she's got the gold around her head. That's just purely a painting. When she was in Nazareth, when she was growing up in an elementary school, she didn't have that gold circle. Uh, when you saw her with her parents, you didn't see the gold circle. Uh, she was just like any other Nazareth family. As we look at the Gospels, we see that Mary's family was probably a poor family. They didn't have a, a lot of money. They were probably in the line, or they were in the line of David the king, but they didn't have uh, all the royal clothes. They didn't live in the castle, uh, so they didn't have any of that stuff. They were... Uh, just a poor Nazareth family and would have blended in with, with everybody else. We saw last time, we read about Elizabeth being the, the mother of John the Baptist. Uh, she would have been related to Mary, probably Mary's cousin. And so there was a connection there. And as we look at Mary, uh, looking at her age here at the time of, of people getting married in this society, Mary was probably a teenager. Sometimes we think of Mary, and I know when I think of Mary, sometimes I, I do think of this young woman, but she would, have, she would have been a teenager, a young woman, 
but she would have probably been a teenager, maybe even in her middle teens probably, uh, because of the marrying age of, of children at that age, uh, at that time. And so this is Mary. We read in verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. We don't know a whole lot about Mary, and we know even less about Joseph. He was in the line of David, and we see uh, him being in the line of David. Uh, we read that Joseph was a righteous man. Look at verse 19 here in Matthew 1. It said her husband Joseph being a just man. Now, he was not sinless. This doesn't mean he was sinless. Neither he or Mary were sinless. Uh, but he was a true believer in God, as Mary was a true believer in God. And Joseph sought to walk in an upright manner. He sought to walk with God. Uh, and so we see that about him. It says here in verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, when we think about betrothed, this was an arranged marriage. Now, betrothed was a little bit more than just being engaged. Uh, as we think about engagements, engagements now are kind of, they kind of come and go. They're broken easily. But an engagement in this period of time would have been a little bit more difficult to, to break. When a family betrothed their child to somebody else, there was usually a contract that was signed. Uh, a dowry would have been paid to the, to the bride's father uh, to help pay for the wedding, and that payment would have been done. And so a contract would have been entered into. So if this betrothal was ended, there would have had to be negotiations on how to end the contract. And so Joseph and Mary were betrothed. Uh, this betrothal period was usually about a year long. That's usually how long it lasted. And it was kind of a trial period. It wasn't a trial period in terms of seeing if they could live together. That wasn't the kind of trial period it was. But it was a trial period. And even though the bride still lived with mom and dad and the groom still lived with mom and dad, this trial period was just to see if they could be faithful to the pledge that they had made to one another already. And so this betrothal period usually lasted for an hour, for an hour, <laughs> usually lasted for an hour, maybe an hour, 10 minutes. Uh, but when the year was complete, uh, after this betrothal lasted for a year, when it was complete, the groomsmen would get his groom's party and they would, there would be a parade that would go to the bride's house and there would be a ceremony and then the groom would take the bride with him back to his home. Uh, oftentimes it would be with the groom's family and they would add on another room or add on another building uh, to the groom's home and that would be their, their future home. And so as we look at this, these are the characters that are involved here. The child is here. Mary is here and Joseph is here. Mary is often referred to as the mother of Jesus. We see that reference. But Joseph is never referred to as the father of Jesus. He's referred to as the husband of Mary, but never as the father of Jesus. Now, that's the characters. Now, let's look at the circumstance that's here. Verse 18, it says this. Before they came together... She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So she was found to be with child before the marriage was consummated, still in this 
one-year trial period, she was found to be with child. And it says that this child was from the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew doesn't share with us a lot of details. He's just sharing with us Joseph's side of things and Joseph's view of things. And so during this trial period, she's found to be with child. Now, in Luke's account, he shares with us Mary's perspective. He shares with us behind the scenes what took place with Mary. And we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, that Gabriel is the one who came to Mary. Gabriel was an angel, a messenger of God, and he came to Mary. And it says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This was before Joseph heard the news that she was expecting. This angel came to Mary and spoke to Mary. And we see here that she sees the angel, there's fear there. She's trying to wonder what, she's wondering where all of this is coming from. She's curious about it. And after all of this that he shares, Mary has one question. Mary has one question. This is in verse 34. Mary said, how will this be since I am a virgin? Imagine this, this angel coming and speaking to you and sharing with you how this is going to take place. We saw last time uh, when Zechariah was told that John was going to be born and he's just, he starts questioning. He's got all of these different things and the angel said, okay, speak no more. You can't talk until John is born. We don't see that from Mary. He shares all of these things and Mary has one question. How will this be since I am a virgin? Mary knew from a human standpoint this was impossible. A virgin's birth, a virgin birth, uh, whoever heard of such a thing? That's an impossibility. And Mary knows this. And that's her question. How can this be? How can this be? Notice the angel's response in Luke 1, verse 35, the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
It's amazing to me in our scientific day and age how the Holy Spirit didn't elaborate on how this was all going to take place. He didn't go into all the details. He just says, it's going to happen. Simple explanation. Impossible for man, but possible with God. Really, in a matter of speaking, it's going to be a Christmas miracle. That's the only way it's going to happen. There's no other way for this child to be born, for this son to be given, other than a Christmas miracle. It was all part of God's plan. Now, notice what Mary shared in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. No further questions. She simply recognizes God is her master. And she is simply a servant. And she yields to the, her master. Regardless of his plan, she is willing. And we know this is not going to be easy on her. This is not going to be an easy time for her family. In this society, this not with, would not have been something that would have gone over smoothly. It would have been a difficult time for her and her family. We see her complete humility here, humbling herself as a servant, saying, Lord, whatever your will is, let your will be done. Let your will be done. And Mary breaks out in praise in this. Luke 1 verse 46 says this, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. She recognizes this position that she's in. She recognizes this privilege that she's been given. She recognizes that she's a servant of God and her worship breaks out. And notice that it's, this is true worship. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My innermost being is rejoicing. This is, this is Mary worshiping God, worshiping Him for the plan that the angel has come and shared with her that's going to take place. She realized and she's blessed beyond all measure. And she worships God for it, showing her respect to God, her worship to God. Grasping this essential truth, the virgin birth, never can we fully understand how this worked. If we try to explain it, we lose our mind. But if we try to deny it, we lose our soul. That's how intricate, that's how important this virgin birth is to this promise, this child being born, this son being given. Jesus was a holy child. He was born not with a sin nature. He had no sin nature. It seems that 
The sin nature is passed down from us from generation to generation, beginning with Adam, and it seems to come to us through the Father. The Immaculate Conception bypassed that. It bypassed the transmission of the sin nature. It enabled an eternal God, the eternal God, to become perfect man. The humanity of Christ produced in the womb of Mary, but the deity of Christ being upheld and being sustained so that Jesus being 100% man could still be 100% God. The only way it's possible is a Christmas miracle. This child in Mary's womb is as old as his heavenly father, older than his earthly mother. It's a Christmas miracle. As holy as the Holy Spirit is, even though he was in complete humanity, as holy as the Holy Spirit is in complete deity. The virgin birth is not an optional article in the Christian faith. Because if we take away the virgin birth, essentially we've taken away the gospel. If we take away the virgin birth, we've essentially taken away the perfect sacrifice. If we take away the Christmas miracle, if we proclaim that Jesus was not virgin born, that he had a human father, we have to take away much of scripture. And if we take much of scripture away, then we have to take away the cross. And if we take away the cross, we have no forgiveness of sin. We are still dead in our trespasses and sins. The virgin birth is that essential. The circumstances of, of this Christmas miracle are such that if we change those circumstances in any way, we change everything. We lose everything. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those movies or read any of those stories where someone is able to go back in time and, and change that one event. And as they change that one event in their life that they would like to undo, it in effect ripples and domino effects and changes other things as well. And then as those things change, their current reality changes as well because of that one thing changing. If we change the virgin birth, if we try to change those circumstances, then we change everything up to the point of the cross, and we have not the cross. If the manger remains full, if the baby remains in the manger, we don't have a cross. If the cross remains full, we don't have forgiveness of sin. We have to have an empty manger, and we have to have an empty cross. That's the circumstance. That's the situation. And without both of those being empty, we don't have the forgiveness of sin. We don't have an empty tomb. We don't have the forgiveness of sin. This Christmas miracle sets every other miracle in motion. And even the miracle of being forgiven of our sins is set in motion. Now back to Matthew 1, verse 19. 
This is when Joseph is informed. Her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. When he discovered that she was with child, there were questions for Joseph. He did not know the full story. He probably didn't know what happened. Mary may have tried to explain it to him, but probably not. She probably didn't have an opportunity. Facebook was not invented yet, kind of hard to text without messenger. But he just knew that Mary was with child. But notice he did not want to harm her. He did not want to shame her. He didn't want to go to Facebook and, and, and shred her on Facebook. He wanted to keep it quiet. And he was going to just let it happen quietly. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel's story that she shared with Joseph matches the story that we read with Mary. This child is from the Holy Spirit. It is a Christmas miracle. It is a Christmas miracle. This child will be born. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name shall be called Jesus. Jesus is the Greek equivalent to Joshua, and that simply means that Jehovah saves. That was Jesus' mission. That's why Jesus came, was to save. Luke 19 verse 10 says this, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He will save his people from their trespasses and from their sins. Their sins are the one thing that they needed to be saved from. Jesus did not come as a babe and remain in a manger. Jesus came and gave his life as a ransom for many. Came down off the cross, was buried, and on the third day rose again. And the tomb is empty, just as the manger is empty, just as the cross is empty, the tomb is empty. And that's the circumstance of this Christmas miracle. But now we see the conclusion. Look at verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. The birth of Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. The prophecy of Isaiah 9-6, the prophecy of Isaiah 7-14. All of that is completed. This child is Emmanuel, God with us. John 1-1 says, in the beginning the word was with God. In the beginning the word, uh, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the Word was God. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory, 
the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Fully God, but yet fully man. The Colossians 2.9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The plan was complete. Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. When Joseph woke, verse 24, he woke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. Joseph did, just as the angel instructed. He heard what the angel said, and he believed. He believed the angel. He believed the message that was given to him, and he followed through. There would be discussion in the community. Joseph would be under fire. Joseph's family would be under fire. But in spite of that, Joseph was obedient. He knew about the Christmas miracle. So there you have it. The characters, the circumstance, and the conclusion. So what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our week? I think the first thing that we need to remind ourselves of is the Christmas miracle. To think about it, God existing in heaven, choosing to take on human flesh and dwell among us. And he dwelt among us as an infant. I mean, sometimes we think about going back in our lives, and, and I think sometimes about going back and, and playing basketball again in high school. But the only way I could do it is if I would go back and be 6'4 as a freshman. I, I was 5'4 as a freshman in high school. I would not want to do that again. I played point guard. It was awful. <laughs> I, I couldn't do that again. But if I could go back and be 6'4 as a freshman and hit that growth spurt that I hit again as a sophomore between my freshman and sophomore year, grow that 8, 10 inches in that summer, Man, that would be awesome. We're talking NBA Quan. <laughs> I, I would be playing in the NBA. I know I would. But that's the only way I would go back. I would only go back if I could know then what I know now. Because I learned some stupid lessons, and I wouldn't want to relearn, relearn those lessons. I wouldn't do it again if I had to relearn those things. You see, I'm just thinking about going back as a human. And I have stipulations. God, who knows everything, all-powerful, is willing to take on limitations. Not giving up his deity, but taking on limitations to come as an infant, to come as a child. Not born today where he could be in a hospital with a heated room, 
born back then without the modern medicines that we have. He was willing to do that. Not born in a city somewhere where you could enjoy city living, the McDonald's five miles away. He came at a time and was born in a third world country. Jesus did that for us. He went through that Christmas miracle for us. What an amazing thing when you think that he would do that. Lived his life without sin and died on a cross. Not in his sleep. Not in a car accident where it would be instantaneous. But in a humiliating way. Agonizing way. Where he would suffer for hours. Paying the penalty for your sin and for mine. Jesus did that for us. And we're celebrating that Christmas miracle. As we think about this Christmas miracle, that should be our mindset. Mindful of what he did for us. Thinking about this Christmas miracle, about this child being born, about this son being given. Nothing is impossible with God. Sometimes we look at things in our lives and we think, man, this is impossible. There's no way I can do this. It's impossible. With God, all things are possible. As we look at that manger scene, we should be mindful. With God, all things are possible. Why would we want to do things not with God? Why would we even try? With God, all things are possible. It's so amazing to think that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He didn't come into this world to play college basketball. He didn't come into this world to play in the NBA. He came into this world to save sinners. That's why he came. That should be a reason for us to celebrate. As we gather around with our family and enjoy time together with our family, we should be celebrating Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Walk by that mirror in your house and you'll see the one that he came and died for. Paid the penalty for that sinner's sin. That should be our celebration. Another thing that amazes me about this is that God has a plan and God's plan always comes to pass. Always in the Greek means always. Always comes to pass. Isaiah 9, 6. God laid out a plan. Part of it has come to pass. There's still more that's going to come. There's going to be that time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Hasn't happened yet. A few of us have learned it. A few more need to. But there will be that day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we can look forward to that time when he's coming again. Wouldn't that be great if he came again this Christmas? Wouldn't that be amazing? I'm hoping so because I may have to preach next Sunday.